is Christina, and thank you for checking into the home of We Widow Seas. This is a podcast where friends and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Today, our guest is my new friend, John. John, how are you doing today? Um, I'm not doing too bad, considering the fact that I've been up since the crack of dawn, so I mean, hey, I'm still conscious. I mean, same. <laughs> I was at work before the sun rose this morning, and I left work when the sun was getting ready to go down. Oh, well, so I, I was slightly better than that. The sun was still up when I left, though not for long. Yeah, I mean, it's daylight savings time. What yeah, exactly, do? exactly. Wait for it to turn into March. <sighs> Soon. Soon. Not really. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So daylight savings aside, uh, who are we going to be talking about today? Um, so we are going to be talking about my D&D character, Orion Zalassiant. Bless you. Would you mind spelling that for the listeners? <laughs> um, sure. So Quarian is Q-U-A-R-I-O-N. And then Zalassient is X-I-L-A-S-C-I-E-N-T. And before you think that I just made some random sounds, I was actually very inexperienced when I made this character, and so those are both literal names taken out of the 3.5 Player's Handbook. Okay. Uh-huh. I was I like, mean, I don't know the... what to call them. <laughs> that's not the worst way to name a character. <laughs> not at all. Um... It's better than naming a character like... Like lamp door jam or something. Yeah. Like I, if that's if that's what you do, then then good on ya. But there's nothing wrong with pulling names from a handbook. Nope, and it's stuck. He's been around for quite a while. Sadly, hasn't seen as much use as I'd like. But yeah, that is the uh, that's the nature of the beast when you're playing D and D. Yeah. Also, very sadly, the longest-running campaign that I've ever played in as a player, and it was my first campaign. Well, that's—I'm sorry that it's the longest-running campaign that you've been in. Uh, but uh, what's kind of uh, what's kind of Corian? Corian, right? Yep, Corian. Okay. What is what is kind of Corian's backstory since you've had them for a long time and they started in three point five? Um. So when I first made him. I didn't really think a whole lot about backstory. I just kind of went, here, let's roll some stats, and I want to be an elven wizard, because why not? Um, And very quickly realized that he was kind of just me while being haughty, because I took the very, oh, I'm an elf and I'm a wizard, so I must be superior, and channeled that into the fact that he only had a charisma score of four. Yes, that's right. I rolled the second lowest possible score you could roll. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I ran with it, not really fully understanding how all the stats worked and everything yet, because, again, literal first campaign, and I just realized that, yeah, he, he really was kind of me at the time. Not socially, I'd only just found my, like, group of friends that would stay for the next couple of years because you know hey D D, and we were all like yeah sure why not even though none of us know anything about it um so yeah he just kind of started out as your stereotypical elven wizard that didn't really know how to interact with people because his nose was in a book all the time okay 
Um, he's he's grown a little bit since there. Since there, since then. Eh, talking. It's okay. It is a relatively late recording <laughs> as far as the time of day. So if we stumble over our words a little bit, it's because we're both tired. Please bear with us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to sleep in today compared to other days. I didn't get up until 5.30 a.m. What does sleeping in feel like? I wish I knew. I have toddlers. So what kind of a campaign... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was actually probably about to just talk about the same thing you were about to ask about. So, um, um, So the first campaign was your very stereotypical, let's slap some random PCs together and they're going to wind up going on, you know, some high epic quest. Um, But we were quite the motley collection. We had a sorcerer whose alignment was some degree of evil. I don't even remember what. Um, A fighter that was so dumb he just did anything the sorcerer told him to do. Um, A shifter ranger that was antisocial but for some reason traveled with us. And then my elf that didn't really know how to deal with people outside of, you know, wherever he studied back then. There was lots of arguing about how things should be accomplished and a lot of roles of, oh my god, is the sorcerer really telling the fighter to do that? Oh, oh, okay, I guess this is happening now. Um, Mm -hmm. I very quickly discovered that Quarian has to sate his curiosity. He can't see something okay. and go, what does that do or what is it for without just trying to do it? As Okay, I have some concerns. Uh yeah, so did the rest of the party after he activated the lava trap in that one dungeon cave system thing. Okay. Hey look, we're in a room. There's kind of this throne thing. This is like half natural cave, half you know, worked by something. There's a big lever beside it. I wonder what that's for. And then, yeah. Okay. Release the lava pit with the fire elemental that we then proceeded to run away from because we were only level two or three at that point. And it was big and scary. Yeah. It sounds like Corian is either a cat or a toddler. Um, yes. (laughs) He's gotten better since then. He's gotten better since then. There's been a few close calls, and he's learned that maybe he should temper his urge to just sate that curiosity. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Yeah. Um, he was also the kind of person who was good to a fault. I mean, his alignment was chaotic good, but he really tried to push to, I think, just counteract out the rest of the group. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. We had a reoccurring villain in the campaign, and he was the only one that actively tried to stop said reoccurring villain, because right from the very first time we saw him, it was oh, you can step on us. Oh. Oh, okay, we're we're not supposed to take you on for a while. We're supposed to cower in fear every time you show up right now. And he was like, no. Okay. Not having that. You you want to kill that dude? I'm going to try and stop you. And that's how he wound up dying. <laughs> it was planned. 
It was planned. Oh, okay. I, I don't know how much you know about 3.5 D&D, because I know you've said that D&D is not your strong knowledge suit. I I am not incredibly familiar with 3.5. I am I am becoming increasingly familiar with with 5e, but I do not really know a lot about about 3.5 besides that there's apparently I think there's like oracles or something. Or I might be thinking of Pathfinder. I don't have any familiarity with Pathfinder either. So Well, I mean Pathfinder is close to 3.5, so um if memory serves, I'm pretty sure there is oracles in 3.5. So there's sort of a subset of classes, if you want to call it that, um, prestige classes. So it's something you work towards. So you need to have, okay. you know, certain levels of skills, access to certain kinds of magic, or like there's a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them have flavor requirements too, like having died and come back to life. I wanted to, okay, I wanted to try being a blood magus. So, you know, natural progression for a spellcasting type class. Um, and basically it would give you abilities, like, over the blood of creatures and stuff like that. And it's, like, highest ranking ability, which I always thought was cool, was called Bloodwalk, where you could dive into a creature of equal or greater size than you and emerge out of another creature within X amount of distance. And you could choose whether or not it inflicted damage. And I was like, that's just awesome. Okay, so you went Osmosis Jones on the creatures you came across. That was the plan. Unfortunately, the campaign didn't get far enough for that. I think I was one level away from being able to start work, uh, taking levels in that prestige class. So that always kind of bummed me out. But So I talked to my DM and I was like, well, the only thing that I can't do and know it's not going to come back to bite me in the butt is die. And he's like, okay, well, I mean, we'll, you know, circumstances will come up naturally, I'm sure, with Corian. I was just like, oh, thanks. Thanks. Good to know that you think I'm just going to die at some point. <laughs> and he's like, he just said, you know, I'll, I'll do my whatever and make sure that he can come back. It's like, oh, okay, perfect. Perfect. Okay. And the campaign basically fell apart after the session that I died in. Aw, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, the group kind of grew and merged, and I only played one more session after that, and I don't really consider it canon, because there was nobody else from the group in it, and it was it was just a mess at that point. It was getting messy. So I just left it off at Orion died. And that's where that ended. For the time being. I'm I'm sorry to hear about that. Character deaths are never fun to deal with. No. I haven't had a character die before, but I have had experiences of other people in play groups having their characters die for various reasons and sundries. And it's never super fun to be around. No, it's really not. The upside, though, was at least it wasn't like in mid-session I wasn't expecting it or anything. It just oh, the campaign's not really going anywhere anymore. Oh, well, that kind of sucks. As opposed to, I've had other characters where it's like, oh, I am dead. Okay, well, what do I do now? I guess I'll sit here quietly for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that. to be fair, sometimes that's just how the dice go. Yeah. So. Very true. Very true. Uh, so, yeah, Corian didn't see the light of day again for a little while. 
after that. Um, okay, where did he where did he go next? Um, so he next appeared in just a couple of random little things that I started writing. Um, sort of a you know where are they now type thing, just little short stories and whatnot down the road of oh would have been kind of cool if the campaign had kept going and here's what I think might have happened. You know, the evil sorcerer just becomes blatantly more and more evil until finally the rest of the party's like, hey, what's going on? We need to stop you and stuff like that. So he showed up in a few of those. Nothing really major. He actually kind of got benched for several years. After that, I moved six hours away from everybody I knew and I wasn't really paying D&D or anything for a little while. And then Moving does that to you. <laughs> it does. It does. And then I discovered that no matter how much I seemed to try and look and find, I couldn't find anybody that knew how to play. So finally one day I went, well, I guess I'll DM and I'll teach them how to play. And then okay, that started the appearances of Quarian as an NPC. Mm-hmm. Um, He wasn't always like a major NPC or anything like that, but every campaign that I've run, I've tried to fit him in somewhere, whether it's just describing a room and one of the people in the room happens to be an elf, and you know what? If they go and interact with him, guess what? He's going to be a wizard, and this is who it is, which didn't know. Okay. You know, didn't always have fruition or anything like that. Lots of times it's overlooked, (laughs) but I mean, that's the nature of it, right? Um, Yeah. I think that's the first time I've ever heard someone using their own characters or player characters as, like, non-player characters in other contexts. That's something that's really... I I can't think of a way to describe it besides, like, that's something really neat to do. And it wasn't something I had even really thought about. Uh, the first time he ever cropped up, I was just kind of like, oh, wow, I put Corian in here, right? Like, it just happened i didn't even think about it and then after that i started to do it a little more and i reached the point where i kind of took that idea and moved it a little further and i don't know if you've listened to cthulhu and friends or anything like that i'm not a big fan of call of cthulhu systems uh so it's not i think i've heard of it in passing but i haven't listened to any of it um so their GM is very, your character's dead or your character's gone? Well, that's my sheet now, and maybe I'll do something with your character. And I realized that was my natural progression. So some of my player, some of my own characters over time have worked themselves in and out, but now I do the same thing with my players. Oh, we played a one-shot and we're done with those characters? Well, those characters are mine now. Maybe you'll see them again. Or, you know, this happened? Well, that's mine now. Maybe that'll show up. Mm-hmm. And I really like that idea that started with me accidentally putting Gorian in a campaign. And it just went, hmm, this is actually a really nice way to add her and some familiar faces in unexpected times. And from the perspective of someone who has run a grand total of two games, <laughs> uh, having your own player characters to pull from makes it a lot easier when you try to come up with NPCs because then you all you already know like this is my character this is how they would interact in the situation this is the voice i used for them that i can use for this oh, don't NPC get me voices 
I'm terrible at voices. I'm so bad. I've I've given up. I've been DMing for like ten years, eleven years. I've given up. I can't do voices. I cannot do accents or anything like that, or at least not controlled. Tone of voice now. Some some of them are happy, some of them talk fast, some of them talk slow. Good enough. <laughs> I mean to be fair, the different kinds of delivery could be different kinds of character voices. So it's not nece- it doesn't have to be, you know, oh, I am Magic Brian, and I have this magic spider. His name is also Brian. It doesn't have to be just, I pick a silly accent. It also can be, you know, the different delivery styles. I have killed John. <laughs> he is sitting in his computer and laughing. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That was... I apologize for killing a guest on air. Oh, no, that was good. I liked that. That was hilarious. I like voices. I I actually only just gave up on trying to do voices in the last couple of months. Um, I was running a session, and the PCs were in a tournament. So there was an announcer, and he started out just, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm grandiose, and hear me speak. Say hello to your challengers. And I was like, that's perfect. And then round two rolled around, and all of a sudden he was very Irish, and I can't even do the voice now. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, okay. And then third round rolled around, and guess what? Third voice! And that's when it really just sunk in, and I was like, I just need to stop. (laughs) I mean, speaking from experience, a very good way to, uh, a very good way to pick up character voices is to think about teachers that you had in school, and then... Tell your friends stories about them, and do your best to mimic their voices or their methods of speaking. <laughs> it's it it can be. I've gotten very good at mimicking the the speaking manners of three of my Eastern European design professors from college. <laughs> that is not. It's it's a thing, but it's also really good practice. Making fun of people sometimes can be a good thing. That's not a idea at all. I may have to actually try that. It, I'm going to have to dig back a little ways to think about teachers and professors and stuff like that, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be a teacher or a professor. It could be, I don't know, the, the, the lady who always cuts in front of you at the grocery store. It could be your, your co-worker who always has the weirdest stories after the weekend or something like that. I'm just spitballing. I'm tired. <laughs> this is now completely off topic, but I feel like that's not totally unheard of during these recordings. Um, so No, it's not. <laughs> sometimes it gets cut, sometimes so, it doesn't. you know the bad, like, just, they're not good jokes, where it used to, it was always, oh, you'd hear, in Mother Russia, blank does blank to you, instead of, you know, like, water drinks you, or... Yeah, or something oh, yes, stupid like that, right? I actually had a Russian professor in mm-hmm. college, and he'd make at least three jokes like that every single class. And it's just like, really? At this point, I'm just like, can you just teach? Please stop. Just please. Yep. Yep. Our histories mm-hmm. in higher education aside... <laughs> Where did Corian go after being... Has he had anything going on for him since being used as various NPCs? Um, in he PhD? did actually get to crop up as a very briefly 
lived player character in a campaign that a friend of mine threw together for a one shot uh, like a year and a half or so ago. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Another one of okay. my friends that actually was in the original campaign that Corian was in uh, was in town. We were like, hey, we have an opportunity to play D&D, something we haven't done together since high school. So we rolled up our, we re-rolled our original characters. Um, okay. Were you adjusting to uh, 5 No, we were still playing 3.5. Um, yeah. So okay. the only problem was it was only four of us playing and we already had somebody who was going sorcerer. And I was like, well, I don't want to go too heavy on the magic. We're a little group. And I, I have this great idea. Orion died. I can do almost anything that I want. So my friend that was joining us for this one night, he played a gnomish bard that joined our campaign a few sessions in. He was your very stereotypical gnomish bard. He was scatterbrained in the fact that he just was going a mile a minute. And as soon as he had an idea, it was perfect. That's what it was going to be. It didn't matter how terrible of an idea it was. And he was charismatic out the wazoo. So everybody was just like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So um, I came up with my little bit of backstory as to what happened to Corian after he died. And I'm going to read that if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. After dying from a blast of magical acid from a much more powerful being, Corian Zalassiant, then elven wizard, found himself reborn thanks to the aid of one, his, one of his adventuring companions, Nevitz the Gnomish Bard. Unfortunately for Corian, Nevitz only managed to find an acolyte studying under the tutelage of a cleric of very exaggerated talent and knowledge. Due to some unforeseen miscalculations in the ritual, as well as one very antisocial and aggravated badger, Corian found himself reincarnated into a very similar but different form. He was half a foot taller than before, much more muscular, and there was one other minor difference. He couldn't recall a single thing about his arcane studies and powers from before his death. Needless to say, these gaps in his memory made him quite irate, at which point he swore if he ever saw Nevitz again, he would do something truly, truly awful to him, and then stormed off. Okay. And that's when he became a ranger for basically one night. Okay, I thought you were going to go barbarian with the whole taller, more muscular, slash athletic, and, yeah. you know, the um, whole rage thing. He, he was very slight and slender in the original campaign, which always caught me off guard, because when I thought elves, I thought, like, Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, you know, tall and graceful and strong, and then I read the D&D PHB, and I was like, what do you mean they're short? I mean, also... The player's handbook is yes. guidelines, not necessarily the all end all. Sadly, back then, little high school John didn't know that. <laughs> and of course, when rolling my stats for level 5 ranger Quarian, I rolled really freaking well. I had, a, I had a character that I played a couple of months ago for a one-shot. Well, I was in it for a one-shot, and I think I rolled something like... Like four seventeens oh for God, her stats. Fantastic. It was great. That's fantastic. Yeah. It was so fantastic. This, this iteration of Corian wound up with an eighteen strength, a twenty dex, like 
So I, I went ranger and I was like, I, I can just be artillery. I can be front line. I can be whatever I want. And I was like, and he's just going to be really angry when he sees Nevitz. And sure enough, there's that gnome okay. walking down the road towards him. And he just, I'm pretty sure I punted him. I could be wrong. I know there was definitely a physical altercation, but I'm pretty sure I just punted him. Okay. Uh, was this something that you had discussed with Nevitz's player beforehand? Not the actual punting, but the rage. And I, I shared my story with him, and he thought it was fantastic, and it sounded exactly like something Nevitz would do. Okay. Um, but yeah, he, he wasn't expecting me to actually go and just try to punt him right off the road. Okay. So that was fun. <laughs> they made up after that. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that Nevitz and Corian were able to make their peace. Eventually. Eventually. We'll see if it stays, if we, if we ever hash these characters out again. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. If that happened again, would you consider having Gorian change class to something else, or be multi-class? I'm actually or... very interested in Warlock lately. Um, I've only actually just recently started playing uh, 5th edition with the newest campaign that I'm running. I've heard lots about Warlocks. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was looking at some stuff, and like, there's no Warlock in my party or anything like that that's playing, but I've just been trying to learn about some stuff and add things in. And actually, Warlocks sound really interesting, and I could see making that next transition, especially along the lines of he's lost everything he learned before and he moved on this way. Well, you know, maybe he decides he really wants to have that power back, and making a deal with something far more powerful than him seems to be the way to go about it. I wonder if it could be something where it could be like a like, multi-class and then do, like, Hexblade or something, but instead of having a soul-bound, like, like, sword or scimitar or something, if you could have, like, a bow and arrow be yes, the soul-bound weapon. That would be, actually. That would be really neat. I haven't read anything for Warlock or Hexblade, so I don't actually know how the mechanics of that would pan out, but, yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's a game. You make exactly. up the rules. Of course, the first thing I have to do with that is find somebody else to run the campaign. Yeah, that's true. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. Maybe someday. And after every campaign ends, I go, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to DM for a while. And like two weeks later, I go, I have a fantastic idea. Let's yeah. play again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that tends to happen a lot with people who are more on the running side of games than necessarily on the playing side. <laughs> uh... I can't speak much to that myself, but it's I. But I definitely know the creative bug. Once it's oh, got ya, it's got that, ya. That happens to me quite strong. Um, actually, the campaign that I'm running right now is that's exactly what happened. I was like, nope, I'm done. Somebody else can DM for a little bit, and a week later, I went, oh my god, this is the best idea I've ever had, and I immediately started drawing a map. <laughs> Give me the controller back. Give me the controller back, Mom said it's my turn again. Oh. Uh, yeah, that that's basically what happened. <laughs> so over the over the many years of you playing Corian, what are some of your favorite things that have happened? Either while playing as him or given his appearances and other uh, things that you've done? Well 
two the two favorite things from the original campaign. The first one was definitely the pulling of the lever. Just that's that moment when I just really found Quarian, where I was like, "Oh, this is who this is." So that was fantastic. Um, and then there was a scene later on where Quarian didn't haggle. He didn't threaten. He didn't. He knew that he was not good at any of that stuff. He under, he was smart enough to understand that socially he had every barrier between him and anything resembling what he would want to try and accomplish. So he didn't do any of that. Shopkeep says, this is how much it is? Okay, this is how much it is. Everybody else in the party haggled, threatened, did whatever to everybody. So the NPCs wound up loving him. Including the big bad villain. Okay. Yes. This was before the one he killed, who killed him. Obviously. Um, my original DM was very yeah. I rolled, and it's weird, but it's fantastic. So that's what I rolled, and everybody just wound up loving Quarian. The big bad gave him an item because he was like, "You look like you're having a hard day. Your party really is just very dysfunctional, aren't they? Here, have this." I mean, which party isn't dysfunctional in some capacity? <laughs> this is very true. Very true. So Corian was just kind of like, um, thanks? And then the next time they fought, which was the fight that he wound up dying in, he was like, well, I'm going to use this. And it was a flask. So the DM's like, okay, so you uncork it? And I was like, yep. And I was like, all right. And some sort of giant demon materialized out of it. And he went, now you need to make a charisma check to control it. Oh, Needless to say, oh, I tanked. Because, you know, having a minus three to yes. your roll is fantastic. Yeah, and I'm assuming that's where the the previously mentioned acid death came in. Actually, it's not. Surprisingly enough, the thing just kind of looked at him and went, no, and walked away. It just left the fight altogether. At which point, Corian was like, oh... I don't know what else to do. Big Bad's trying to kill this guy that we were like, we'll go protect him. So he just jumped in front of an, an attack and briefly saved the guy's life for like six seconds. Okay. Yeah. Um, as an NPC, he never... I had just the perfect setup for him to be all big and Look at me! I am power incarnate! And have the PCs just be like, Oh, like, you could help us with this problem! Because I really felt like having him in that campaign, I was just jonesing to play him a little bit. And so there he is. I don't even, Where were they? They were in a town somewhere or something. And he was all prepared to be his big and flashy self in that very moment. And they all just were kind of like... Mm. We don't want to talk to him. We're just going to keep moving. Yeah, the the player characters did that. Yeah, so I I was all yeah. like, here it is. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. We'll move on. No, you guys don't need to stay in the town if you don't want to. Where are you going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the hazard of really doing any kind of collaborative, creative enterprises. The things that the, the things that the person organizing puts a lot of effort into are not necessarily the things that the other people involved or the audience are going to latch on to. 
So, but sometimes you gotta just make it for you, and then you know, and that's all that counts. Yep, yep. I I have learned over the years because I was the DM that had to prep everything. Here's who's in this town, not down to like every last individual person, but here's the list of ten people they might interact with, and here's what's going on in this town, and here's this, and here's that, and over the years I've realized a list of names, general things you want to have happen. If there's going to be a fight tonight, have some options for what they're going to fight and just go with the flow because otherwise you're going to spend three weeks prepping for one night and only use a quarter of what you did. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I did have that happen in some capacity in one of the games that I ran. It turned out really well overall. It was like, oh hey, like there are things you guys never even saw and I made a map. I had a giant like metropolis hub city in a campaign i ran a couple of years ago like i it had districts and everything i was planning this thing out and i was mapping this thing out and i was like they're never even going to see half of this probably but i did it anyway because for me yeah and then sometimes you can take things that you put effort into and then you can reuse them in other settings like I feel like I've heard of people using their pre-existing, like, well, I guess not pre-existing, pre-prepped materials as, like, backgrounds for stories or ficlets they write or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I just dated myself on the internet by saying ficlet. I'm not gonna lie, I don't even know what that is. It's a fan fiction, but it's a little baby one. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, then. Now I know that there are subcategories of types of fanfics. That's not true. I knew that there was slash oh, fic, God, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's 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 slash, there's drabbles, there's ficlets, there's song fics. I could go into a lot about this, but I don't really know a lot about it, and I also don't remember everything that I knew at some point, so... It's out there. People can find it on the internet if you want to look it up. Can we just back up for a second and just acknowledge the fact that there is... A subcategory called drabbles. Drabbles. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't even know what that word is probably remotely supposed to mean, and I already want to use it in everything that I talk about now. Um, as best as I can remember, a drabble is essentially like something that you're it's it's more of a writing experiment. Like you you create as best as I can remember, it's you created you, you wanted to write something, you didn't really have a, like, anything planned out, but you knew what direction you wanted to go in, so you just kind of write, and maybe it's not the longest, but there's something cohesive in it, and so you put it up and you call it a drabble. Okay. It sounds like something I've written a couple of times, then. <laughs> I mean, probably. A lot of, I feel like a lot of everyone's early works of writing could be charitably be called travels. Well, in my case, charitably. (laughs) I'm sure they were fine. Or at least not, you know, destined for the garbage fire. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have an event that has not actually occurred yet that I'm very much looking forward to, and it's where my current campaign actually left off. They are going to see Quarian Zalassian. They've already been given his name. He is the okay. he is the person that they are going to to try and get some answers in our current campaign. Um, okay. 
well, he is known as Archmage Zalassian. He has aged well in this world. Um, Well, congratulations (laughs) to him on making the successful the successful career change from player character to established important non-player character. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they are, of course, in this tower of wizards and whatnot, and they're going to see him. And they come across one of his apprentices. And normally you don't hear about old-looking elves. And I describe this apprentice as looking like he's, he's like one step away from death's door. This is how old this elf is. And they're all going, oh god, he's only an apprentice? Like, yeah. he's ancient. He is probably older than anything else in this world, and he's the apprentice. Oh my god, what's this archmage going to be like? And the apprentice went, oh, and by the way, nobody's talked to him in several years. He's been locked up in his study, studying whatever, because this happens every decade or so. We don't hear from him for a couple of years. And then he reemerges with some great new discovery. And they're like, oh, okay. And he's very he's yeah. very serious about his quiet time that lasts for years. So they had to go through puzzle rooms to get to him. Okay. Yes. What kind of puzzles? Um, well, the first one was riddles, which wasn't too bad. Um, my wife is playing in the campaign, and she is currently working overnights and a day job sometimes, because her day job is only casual on-call. Yay. Uh, so she was up for about like 27, 28 hours at this point because I was like, do you want me to reschedule? And she went, no, we're playing. Yeah. And she was the one managing to answer all the riddles. It was actually hilarious. I'm looking at them going, she is three quarters asleep. Come on, guys, pull your weight. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, sometimes sleep deprivation just makes everything just real easy to process. It's like, it's sometimes the things are the most obvious answers. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, from there, they moved into a room where gravity pulled each of them to a different wall. And they had to try and get through a okay. floating stone doorway that hung in the exact center of this room. Um, that okay. one they solved fairly easily. A couple of crummy rolls delayed them a little bit. But other than that, they got through it pretty quick. Um. There was the hallway with the screaming mirror at the end of it. The end of the hall was just like a giant mirror, the whole thing. And when you got to it, a vaguely humanoid shape kind of like pressed out against it and just screamed at you. Um, That one stumped them for a little bit. They had to scream back at it. As soon as they screamed back, it pulled them through the mirror and into the next room. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I hit up Pinterest for some of these ideas. be amazed at what you can find for D&D ideas on Pinterest. I can say that is genuinely something that I've never considered. I hadn't thought of... And I'm very surprised by the fact that you got D&D puzzle ideas off of Pinterest. Oh, you'd be amazed at the stuff you find on Pinterest. Homebrew classes, items... Were they... Were they on... Were they pinned on the boards next to... Next to... Here's Sarah Jean's favorite way to make cookies for the PTA meeting and make your own crafting with felt bows. If I... And then mirrors that scream at you. If I actually understood how to delve into Pinterest, they might be. But I basically found one D&D thing and then just kept going down the suggested branches that were only D&D things. Yes. Okay. It, it was quite the deep dive hole of, I don't remember how I got here, but I love these ideas, and so I'm staying. 
Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and then the last room, which is the room that they actually ended the session in. Sadly, we haven't played in five weeks. Hopefully that changes this weekend. Um, the ceiling drops. So, you know, okay, that that's a fairly straightforward sounding kind of trap thing. There's absolutely nothing in the room but a pressure plate in the middle of the floor. They push the pressure plate, the ceiling goes back up. They haven't figured out how to get through the room yet. Okay. I have ideas on how that could work that I probably wouldn't come up with if I was in the moment playing it. Well, let, let's hear one. Let's hear one. We'll see how close you are. Is 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 the trick to have everyone else get to the end of the get to the end of the room by the door or the ed, or the exit or whatever, and then by some method get the person on the plate off of the plate before the ceiling can drop and then everyone goes through the door. I left out one very key piece of information when I told you about this room. There is no other door. Okay. Is the pressure is the pressure plate a door? It is not. So, the trick to this room is the ceiling will stop moving three feet above the floor. And an opening will just... A, a trap door will just open in it. Okay. But they've got to let it drop that far. So think about it. The average player in my group is five foot something. So, you know, af after a couple of rounds of it dropping, they're on their knees laying down because the ceiling is so low they can't stand up anymore. And then, yeah. They were they were one round away from it happening, and the rogue chickened out and slapped the pressure plate and reset the ceiling, and that's where we ended. Okay. I imagine they probably had to go through the stages of grief and acceptance of their own demise. Yeah. They, they... See the light flash no, before the we'll eyes. We'll see if they get there in our next session or not. It'll, it'll probably be quite hilarious. I expect to have to go through at least three resets of the ceiling before they just go, oh, darn it. Um, but yes, that's the last room, and once they're done in there, it's going to dump them into his actual study. And I just can't wait for that, because it's just going to be one of those, why'd you come in that way? There's a door over there. Yeah, I, uh, I would advise you to bite your plugs for when you tell your party that they could have just walked in through some kind of a door. <laughs> uh... But I am sure that it's going to be a very a very fun and rewarding encounter to have. I really hope so. I am not above trolling my party occasionally. Because you know what? Being the DM, even if you don't do a ton of prep work, still takes a lot of work. And you got to do the things that, you know, are fun for you and make it fun for you. Within reason. <laughs> Within, yeah. I don't actually want to alienate yeah. my party, but... I'm pretty sure most of them, once they get over their initial rage, will just appreciate it. I hope so. It's it's always nice to have things that you put effort into, have them be appreciated. And I know my syntax was real terrible with that, but it it's is. late. <laughs> it's late. I'm not grammaring good what anymore. Is grammar? Hey, actually, I think I grammared properly there. Yes, I think you did. I did not, but you did. Oh, my God. So before I ask the final question, anything else you want to add? About Quarian? Mm. Ah. Quarian, as all good wizards should, well, primary spellcasters anyway, 
has an unnatural love for the fireball spell. Okay. Um. So in in D and D, the fireball spell is like the first really like I can nuke a group type thing that your arcane spellcasters can get, and it's an auto hit to degree. You drop it in a spot; it expands to a certain amount of space, and anything trapped in that space has to make a dex saving throw to only take half damage. As soon as I got access to that level of spells, oh, let me tell you, Corian set a lot of things on fire. Not always intentionally. Yeah, I bet. Uh, in that case, then, uh, your final question for this evening's recording is, why do you love Corian so much? I love Corian. Definitely in part because he was that first character. There's that nostalgia factor with that. And he's grown with me over the years of my playing D&D and carrying him through different campaigns and just trying to reincarnate him and whatnot. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just, if it wasn't for him, I don't think I'd be into D&D as much. Because when I had that click moment, it just made it all... This is how this works. This is how I have fun with this. And that's 15, 16 years later. All I have to do is think about him and go, oh yeah, that's why I love this game. Aw. That's nice. Okay. I can't see things because I've got my, my mic in the wrong place. Okay. Thank you, John, so much for coming on. I appreciated having you on the podcast and getting to hear all about Corian. Well, thank you for having me. I very much enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed listening. Do you have anything that you want to promote, places you can be found on the internet where you want to be found? You can find me on Twitter at Moylan John. So that's M-O-Y-L-A-N-J-O-N. Um, I also have what will hopefully get off the ground, um, a podcast of the Wraith system coming up. Uh, and if you want to find out more, and especially when we start putting stuff out, you can follow at Death Untimely on Twitter as well. The Home for Wayward OCs can be found on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our theme song is Violet by Potty to Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. New episodes come out on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can be found on Twitter at waywardocpod or through the waywardocpod hashtag. You can also email us at waywardocpod at gmail.com. Um, we do have the next, the, I'll, say the, I'll say the next couple of months uh, slotted out with guests, but if you're interested in being on the show, send us an email, a tweet, a message in some way, and uh, we can talk about getting you on the show. Uh, and as always, it is always very helpful if you are uh, able to rate and review us on your listening platform of choice and recommend us to people, uh, because it helps us to find a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you for listening. This has been the Home for Weird OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. wind up with some weird sounds in this recording. Let me see here what's going on.